I'm going to read the scripture passage this morning. If you would open your Bibles, Richard's going to begin a series from the book of Colossians. And this opening section of Colossians is Paul's attitude toward the people of Colossians, those he's never met before. But how thankful he is for them and how he prays for them and encourages them. So this is God's word from Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the holy and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. The faith and love that springs from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you all over the world. This gospel is bearing fruit and growing just as it has been doing among you since the day you first heard it and understood God's grace in all of its truth. You learned it from Epaphras our fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord And may please him in every good way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and joyfully giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is God's word. Each Friday morning, I send out an email to the congregation called Fridays at First. And if you're watching on our live stream broadcast this morning and what would like to receive that, in essence, what I do is tell folks what's happening over the weekend, especially at church on Sunday morning, of course, and also events coming up over the next couple of weeks. And I usually begin that epistle with a small humorous comment. And this past Friday, I mentioned that we are beginning to pull out of COVID-19 restrictions and we're taking gentle steps forward. I also added that during the COVID restrictions and self-quarantine periods, I put on more weight than a Presbyterian should put on. Uh, And so now I'm determined to take it off. And I said to Ruth, I really need to go back to my original weight. And she said, well, frankly, that's ridiculous. It's unrealistic to think you can get down to seven pounds and three ounces. Which tells you that I live with a very bright smarty, so that was, that's that. But we are moving out of the COVID restrictions and we're feeling it and sensing it here at church and you're seeing it this morning. And what a joy and blessing that is. 
And we're doing it gently and fairly cautiously, as we think we should in a responsible manner. And this morning, as we come to Colossians, we're going to discover the Apostle Paul is encouraging his readers in Colossae to be focused more on where they're going rather than where they have been. Grateful for the past, thankful for the past, building on the past, but be focusing on where God is calling you in the days and months and years ahead. And that's where we're going this morning. Colossae was a fairly small city in Asia Minor. You will see it on the map. And in order to look at uh, its location, if you read the word Mediterranean Sea in the bottom half of your graphic, come to the final letter N, N for Noah, and then go directly north to Petra Myra, Lycia, Telia, excuse me, Perga, and then Colossae is just above it. Can you see it? Are you with me there? And then if you move a hundred uh, miles to the west, you're going to see Ephesus. And that's, of course, one of Paul's great epistles, and both Ephesians and Colossians appear in the New Testament. And Colossae was situated in the Lycus Valley. Hierapolis was a neighboring city. Also, you had Laodicea was another city there. And Laodicea and Hierapolis tended to outshine Colossae. It's a little like living where we are in our own uh, geographical context with Atlanta in the south and Charlotte in the north. And so folks drive past Greenville pretty regularly. Likewise in Colossae. And so here is Paul writing to this smallish city. It was busy and vibrant enough, but small compared with Laodicea and Hierapolis. And he's writing to encourage them to grow in their faith. He's heard amazing things about them. His good friend Epaphras has been the minister there. He probably established the church there. He's visited Paul in Rome and told him great things about this city. And so Paul writes to them and says in verse 3, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints, the faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel. Now let me pause there for a second. Can you imagine how the folks in Colossae felt when they received an epistle from the Apostle Paul? I imagine they would read it multiple times on Sunday morning, pretty much as we're reading it today. And they would go over it line by line, verse by verse, because to them there was nothing more imaginable than the Apostle Paul writing to them and encouraging them. And they would see it as a huge compliment. And in fact, Mark Twain, who was a very humorous individual, terrific writer, said, I can live for two months on a good compliment. And I think most of us can. Most of us remember the time when someone says, good job, well done. I'm absolutely thrilled with what you've done. I've been thinking of you and praying for you. Those are conversations we remember. And here is Mark Twain saying, I can live off of a good compliment. It encourages me, it upbuilds me, it helps sustain me. And of course, he's right. And if the Apostle Paul is writing... 
And folks are encouraged by that and complimented by it for Paul to say, I'm hearing great things about you. I'm hearing of your love for all the saints, your love for the city, your prayer for them. It is absolutely a delight to be in touch with you. Now let me ask you this. When you were 15 or 16 years old, did you have a favorite sport? Baseball, basketball, football, tennis, swimming, whatever your favorite sport was. And imagine the coach comes and says, I'd like you to try out for the school team to represent us for next season. How would you feel? What if he said, I see innate talent within you. I see you growing in your ability. But I think you have a long way to go. And if you're going to make the team, you're going to have to start practicing regularly. You're going to have to get to the gym, build up that upper body strength. You're going to have to work on those legs. And you begin thinking, I think this is possible. But the more you practice, the more you train, the more effort and energy you pour into your sport, you also see some of your friends doing the same thing. And you probably come out at a similar level of fitness. And when it's time to select the team, your name is called. And before you go home that night, the coach takes you to one side and says... I just want you to know how thrilled and delighted I am that you made the team. We've got a tough season ahead, but I think you are the person we want on this team. Congratulations and well done. I think most of us would remember that conversation for the rest of our days, would we not? And we look back on it with great affection. That's exactly what's happening here. When Paul writes, verse 3, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints. They would remember this epistle for the rest of their days. Because contained within it is not only encouragement that would sustain them and strengthen them and build them up, But the Apostle Paul goes into deeper levels, and we're going to see this in the next couple of weeks, that will equip and enable them to live out their faith for the rest of their days. And if you think that's a spectacular compliment that any congregation would be happy with, you're absolutely right. But the next passage of Scripture I want to give you, I think you're going to find absolutely breathtaking and its implication. God is speaking to Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 49 verse 16. This is what he says. I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. And it wasn't simply to Isaiah. It was to every single child of God who's ever lived. And the next time you are feeling a little off color, things are not going well, You long to sense his presence and feel his tender touch. Remember Isaiah 49, 16. You are written on the palms of God's hands. That means he sees you every morning. He sees you every moment of the day. He wishes you good night when you fall asleep. 
He sees you the next morning. And please note, it's not that it was written there with a sharpie. It's engraved. It's engraved in the palm of his hands. Your name. And when you are tempted to be discouraged, and you're tempted to give up, you're tempted to walk away, please understand how absolutely spectacular that is, that your name is engraved on the palms of his hands. And if you're sitting there today saying, Richard, I hear what you're saying, but it doesn't always feel that way. Some days I feel distant. Some days I'm uncertain about my future. I've got major decisions coming up. I don't know what to say. I don't know how my future should look. Frankly, I'm fearful and anxious and a little uncertain. And if that's you, let me take it to another level. In the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul again is writing and he's talking about the Holy Spirit. And he says, in the same way... The Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. In other words, the Holy Spirit is praying for you when you are facing tough and challenging days and you don't know what to do. Not only is he praying for you, he is praying and interceding with groans. He's passionate about you. He wants the best for you. And then Paul goes on and he says, And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. If you have children or grandchildren graduated last month and are uncertain whether to go into business as a career or go for further education or they're anxious of going from elementary school into the next level or up even into high school or college you can remind them that the Holy Spirit is praying for them and they can absolutely trust him Or it may be you're wrestling with health issues and the results from recent CAT scan or lab work has not turned out the way you had hoped and you're fearful. He is praying for you. His comforting presence, his tender touch is a living reality for Christians. You are engraved in the palms of his hands. Talk about encouragement. Talk about a compliment. It's right there for us. Staggering biblical concepts. And as the Apostle Paul goes on, he goes on and says to the folks there, I've been thinking about you. I've been praying for you. And notice what he says. Verse 6. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace and all its truth. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. And then in verses 19 all the way through to verse 20, 
in the original language is a single sentence. 218 words. No comma, no period, nothing. The Apostle Paul is just pouring out his heart. He can't get it down on paper quick enough as he's writing. And he's writing to encourage them and build them up. And notice what he says. Verse 9. The latter half of verse 9, he says, I'm asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this, that you may live a life worthy of the Lord. You may please him in every way, strengthened, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might. And then he prays for great endurance and patience, and it goes on and on and on and on. What an encouragement that would have been to this young church in Colossae. Paul is praying for us. He's pouring out his heart. Now hold that thought in your mind for a moment. Come with me all the way up into the 21st century. And what if the Apostle Paul was writing to us today? What would he say? What would he write? What would he be praying for? And I imagine he'd say something like this. I'm praying for you. I've been thinking about you. And we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. And in my somewhat vivid imagination, I imagine him saying, I have been watching you on Sunday mornings from time to time on the live stream broadcast. And I know that the last 14 months have been tough for you. Like others across the world, you've had to deal with a global pandemic. It has impacted every aspect of our lives. From health, to education, to travel. We've lived under a national state of emergency. International borders have been closed. It has been devastating on jobs. That has been everywhere. Some of you may have lost loved ones as a result. Others are still struggling to get over its debilitating nature six months after first contracting it. It has been a tough 14 months. But I want you to know I'm praying for you. That's exactly what I imagine he would say. I imagine him also saying, some of you have had your life on hold for the last 14 months. A number of you planning to get married had to be put on hold. Some of you lost jobs and your career is put on hold. Some of you were seeking promotion, it was put on hold. Some of you were hoping to move house, it was put on hold. And yet, here you are. You've come through it. And you've managed. It has left its mark. And for some of you, the stress and the strain has caused you to be cautious and concerned. For others, you probably will not trust as quickly as you once did in the past. There were days when bad news outpaced good news. Problems outnumbered solutions. At times, confusion, uncertainty, fear dominated you every day. And yet, here you are. You've come through it. Yes, it's been tough. But I thank God for you and I'm 
praying for you, and I need you to focus on where you are going rather than living in where you have been. And as individuals, and as a congregation, we are gently, cautiously, carefully moving forward. And we're moving forward prayerfully, intentionally. Some of us in the last month have attended graduations. Some have celebrated with family and friends, birthdays, 4th of July. Celebrations are just round the corner. Others of us are planning summer vacations. We're getting back to some measure of normality. And slowly but surely our focus is beginning to to be on the future, not the past. And as Paul continues to pray, notice what he says, verse 9, I am asking God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Has there ever been a point in your life when you have not needed the full knowledge of His will to understand exactly what He's doing? To give thanks in all circumstances that he would strengthen you and encourage you. And notice what else he says. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing in every good fruit. And he goes on and on and on and on. And so let me encourage you this week. If you do have children and grandchildren in your family, or you're in a tough situation yourself, make that your prayer. Use it as a model for prayer. Look at it in verse 9. Let me try and give you a sample of what you could possibly do. Father, I'm asking you to fill me with the knowledge of your will. Grant to me all spiritual wisdom and understanding as I seek your presence and grow in my faith. I pray that I would live a life worthy of the Lord and that I would please Him in every, every way, bearing good fruit in every work, growing in my knowledge of You, being strengthened by You through Your glorious might, that You would grant to me great endurance and patience, that I in turn might joyfully give thanks to You. Take the Scriptures, use them as a model for prayer, apply them to your life, and what a prayer that is. I cannot honestly imagine anyone in the entire world who couldn't use a prayer like that. That's what Paul is doing. He's equipping them, he's strengthening them, he's giving them the tools. No wonder the Colossians are delighted and thrilled when they receive his letter. And then he goes on a step further. And he says in verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he's rescued you from the dominion of darkness and brought you into the kingdom of the Son he loves in whom you have redemption, the forgiveness of of sins, giving thanks to the Father. For some of us, that's been hard the last 12 months, simply because the devastating impact of COVID, all of our frustrations, all of the complex issues that's dominated our life, giving thanks has been hard. But now, we're moving on. 
Paul has been writing to the folks in Colossae as a church and as individuals, and we, of course, are the recipients of those biblical principles, grateful to apply them to our own lives, grateful for the reminder that we are engraved in the palm of his hands, grateful for the reminder that the Holy Spirit is praying and interceding for us and encouraging us and strengthening us and building us up. Grateful for the opportunity to focus on where we're going rather than where we've been. And then, how do we apply it to us as a congregation? What is God saying to us as we live in a 21st century context, in a downtown location, of all of the blessings and encouragements and strength that he has given to us? And our context is this, that we are located at the heart of a large, thriving city, one of the fastest growing cities in the nation. Civic leaders expect up to 500,000 new residents in the next 10 years. We're among the top 10 American downtowns. I've honestly lost count of the number of awards that Greenville has received for our downtown, and it's absolutely spectacular. We rated among the top 30 places to live in the U.S. Actually, we're significantly higher than that, but I didn't put it there because modesty forbids. <laughs> this is a very good place to live and raise a family. We're among the fastest growing large cities according to the U.S. Census. We're the headquarters, of course, for Michelin North America, manufacturing center for BMW North America, Clemson University International Center for Automotive Research, Advanced Research and Development Facilities for GE Power Systems. And the list goes on and on and on and on. I stopped after the first four or five. We live in an exciting, vibrant, growing city. A city that we as a congregation are called to pray for and care for and love. As a congregation, we are called by God to live for such a time as this. We're called to be a congregation who nurtures and nourishes a sense of belonging to anyone who comes Sunday morning or in the course of the week. We're called to be a secure spiritual home where folks can feel at home. For folks are growing in their faith, developing in maturity in their understanding of Christ and a relationship with Him. We are called to be life-giving and life-affirming in all that we do. We are called to be a place of learning and growth. That's why on Sunday morning we intentionally open up this book. Read it, learn from it, seek to apply it to our lives. The architecture of our entire sanctuary focuses on a pulpit and a communion table. Because we know that that's what feeds our souls. Helps us to grow in our faith, mature in our relationship with Christ. And our job is to nurture and nourish that. We are a place of learning and growth. We are to be a place that develops intergenerational engagement and relational connectedness. One of the things I find absolutely thrilling on Sunday morning is that when I walk along the corridors, I'm giving high fives to 90-year-olds and fist bumps to one-year-olds. What a thrill that is! What a thrill that is! 
And we exist in the middle of this large, thriving, developing community. We have opportunities few churches have. We should be intentionally prepared and equipping us for living out our faith. And the scripture does that day by day by day by day. We are called to care for and be committed to transforming the spiritual heart of this city. Folks, we can either sit back and let the change that the 21st century is bringing our way like a tsunami and allow it to overwhelm us, or we can shape and fashion and influence that change for good. I'm convinced we're called to the latter. And finally, whatever we do, whether it be Sunday morning or Monday morning or throughout the course of the week, our number one priority is to interact with and engage with the living God. That's what he calls us to. That's who we are. That's what defines us. That's what shapes the heart of a city. And we have that opportunity. As the Colossians were called in their day, so we're called in our day. And so let me wrap things up this morning. Three or four points. I've made them already. But if you're taking notes and you missed them the first time, it's a good idea to get them down now. God has your name engraved in the palms of his hands. Please don't forget that. Number two, his Holy Spirit is praying for you and groaning for you and interceding passionately for you when you go through tough days. Number three, He's calling us to focus on where we're going rather than where we've been. And he's also calling us to focus on who we are becoming rather than where we've been. And number four, like the church in Colossae, our job is to pray that he will strengthen us with all power so that we might have endurance and patience as we seek to transform the spiritual heart of this city. I'm sorry you can't go out these doors because if you did, you would see the construction. The construction is going at a pace we are finding it hard to keep up with. It will be ready, the contractors are telling us, next March or April. The children's section will be ready to move into probably late September, early October this year. Talk about a thriving, busy city. Talk about exciting opportunities. And so like Colossians, our job prayerfully, Father, lead us, guide us, direct us. Let us cautiously step forward, leave behind the global pandemic, become the people of God you are calling us to be. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this opportunity this morning to spend time in your presence and to open up your word and have you speak to us. Enable us, please, O God, to be the men and women, boys and girls you're calling us to be. Let us be prayerfully caring for our city. Allow us to serve that city in such a way that you are exalted and honored in the midst of it all. And above all, please remind us that we are engraved in the palms of your hands and that you sustain us and encourage us and strengthen us day by day by day. Oh, Father, thank you for your love for us. 
Allow us to return that love in response to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.